Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Intelligent Technologies, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place because this is where the best run. We are so excited. This is a brand new series we're debuting today called Changing the Game with Intelligent Technologies. We've got a wonderful topic that's going to impact all of you out there in our global listening audience. And let me just get started and then I'll tell you who our panelists are. So I'm opening with a quote today. We call it the buzz quote from a gentleman named Nathan Andrews, who's a partner with Deloitte Tax LLP. Now, what you need to take away from what I just said is the word tax. So here's the quote. Internally, there has been pressure to significantly reduce tax department costs, embrace automation, and recalibrate tax talent. Now, just, let's just let that sink in for a second. That is a major statement, and that's what we're talking about today. We're going to reference a recent tax ruling the U.S. Supreme Court just a few weeks ago, June 21st, just decided on South Dakota versus Wayfair. It means that the U.S. states can require remote sellers to collect sales and use tax on out-of-state transactions if they reach certain economic nexus thresholds. What does this mean for business? Well, of course, any tax ruling means there is a ripple effect. It may places demands and pressure on how businesses manage, calculate, and report tax, something eh, we have to talk about. We don't want to, but we have to because it's a fact of life in business. So we're looking at technologies because this series is about intelligent technologies. And the question on the table is, how can technology help you your business and just to level set we're here on the business channel on World Talk Radio VoiceAmerica.com. So we're speaking to businesses, whether you're an owner, whether you're a C suite person, whether you're a managerial level, whether you are starting a business, whether you've got a little teeny tiny business, tax is a fact of life. So how can technology help your business ease the burden on you because you need to collect, you need to remit, you need to report on tax liabilities, you have to be compliant or they'll find you, and you have to reduce the potential risks of tax liability. It's a big deal. We have three panelists today. They are all experts. When you hear the opening quotes they've sent me, you're going to say, what, seriously? They all have a sense of humor, which I'm glad to report. We don't always get sense of humor and tax in the same sentence. In just a moment, I'll be introducing you to Michael Bernard. Chief Tax Officer, Transaction Tax for Vertex, a partner of SAP. Very happy to have Michael here. Joining him, Les Jackson, Tax Managing Director at Deloitte Tax. And we do a shout out, of course, to our very good friends at Deloitte. We have Carla Neal and Helen Thomas and Amanda Bush. Always send us wonderful panelists, great thought leaders. And rounding out the panel is somebody I located at SAP, one of my colleagues. His name is Knut Barthel. He is a Senior Director at SAP's globalization services, and he knows all about tax, too. So welcome to my three very esteemed panelists. Serious topic, but we're going to try to smile along the way. Michael Bernard at Vertex has sent me a quote from The Who. 
The song is My Generation. It's back in 1965. The Who is an English rock band that was formed the year before. You may remember lead singer Roger Daltrey, uh-huh, guitarist and singer Pete Townsend, uh-huh, and bass guitarist John Entzwistle and drummer Keith Moon, all very, very famous. They were one of the most influential rock bands of the 20th century. They sold over a million records worldwide. Their first single was I Can't Explain, UK Top 10, and then a string of single successes. My Generation is one of them. And here is the quote. Michael, I have the lyrics. I actually have the YouTube downloaded, but I'm not going to play it because it would just derail the whole show. So here is the quote Michael has selected from my generation. I'm not trying to cause a big sensation. I'm just talking about my generation. I'm sorry, Michael, I couldn't resist. How are you, Michael Bernard? I'm doing great. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you for picking this quote. I had a good time. I Just let me read the lyrics that go around it. Why don't you all sure. fade away? Talk about my generation. Don't try to dig what we all say. Talk about my generation. I'm not trying to cause a big sensation. Talking about my generation. I'm just talking about my generation. Talking about my generation. Did I murder it or did I do okay, Michael? No, I think you did really well, Bonnie. You got it. That's how Roger sang it, that's for sure. So, um, I'm so honored. What in the world are we doing with a quote from The Who from 1965 on a serious topic about taxes? Honestly, Michael, you have to draw the breadcrumbs. Do, do the link for me, please. Sure, I will. Um, so I think when Pete Townsend wrote that um, song back in 1965, he wasn't trying to make any kind of political statement or cultural statement. He was just really kind of talking about that that his generation at that time, so mostly post-World War II baby boomers, were, were going to look a little bit different than their parents were when they were raised in the 50s. So mm-hmm. um, they were going to probably work, work less. They were probably going to enjoy life a little bit more. And one of the things that Pete kind of had, one of the lines in there, was that he said he didn't want to die old and rich. And so, which means... But as you know now, Pete is—he's older and he's richer. So sometimes when you write songs, you know, from 50 years ago, life turns out just a little bit different. But, but the reason I selected the quote was because the this decision that came down that you said at the beginning of the, uh, the webcast, South Dakota versus Wayfair, is really mm-hmm. a generational shift in what the law has been. So we had some changes in '67. We had a big uh, tax case that came out, and then we had one that came in '92. And now this one in 2018 is is kind of a big shift for for the tax uh, for the tax area. So that's that's kind of why I selected the the quote. Well, thank you very much. It's very interesting to me about generations and taxes, and we know we're seeing a lot of changes in tax laws. Um, I've always thought of tax law, Michael, as something that is for an elite group of people. And, and we used to think of CPAs being in the basement with the green eye shade and the lamp, you know, the green lamp, doing spreadsheets and trying to figure out how to save us as consumers, as, as quote-unquote everyday people, and then working for big companies as well. Has tax come out of that basement? Is it now a a, a more mainstream profession, uh, what you do? And I'll be asking Les Jackson and Canute the same question. Is it something that is... Wow, we've got a whole tax department, and they can't wait to tackle these new regulations. Where is tax today as a profession? I think one of the things, if if you're in the profession today, it's just one of the most exciting times to be in it. Uh, not only does this ruling change um, and creates a lot of opportunity, but it also creates a lot of uh, a risk and compliance for, for companies. 
but but also the most recent tax laws that were changed on the federal level as it related to when President Trump uh, and they passed their most recent tax uh, act. And so so most of these things take a long time to develop, Bonnie. There, there are things that if you're in the profession, you're kind of working on them and working on them. And when they finally come to fruition, they come kind of fast. And then mm-hmm. you have to adjust to all those things. And so there's a lot of things that go on. There's there's, and we're going to talk about it today is technology changes, but we're also going to talk, but there's also things like regulation changes and additional yes. clarification for statutes and things like that. So, so the profession today in tax, it's, it's really one of the most exciting times to, to be working in this area. I'm excited to hear you say that because it's time to bring this out in the open and say there there is an interesting profession there, and it's not just crunching numbers and being under deadlines and pulling your hair out. So thank you very much for the reference points, Michael. I appreciate it, and welcome. And a shout-out to your colleague, Kathy Basiri, who uh, helped get this show put together. We really appreciate her hard work. So we're going to hear a lot more from you in a few minutes, and now let's go slightly around the table to Les Jackson at Deloitte Tax. And Les has sent us also another entertainment quote. This was a surprise. It's a quote from the character called Crash Davis in Bull Durham, 1988 American romantic comedy sports film. Les, I've never heard a movie described as a romantic comedy sports film, partly based on the minor league baseball experiences of writer-director Ron Shelton. And it's near and dear to me, Les, because 11 months ago, I moved to Durham, North Carolina. That's where I am right now. And the movie depicts the players and fans of the Durham Bulls, a minor league baseball team here. I was at my first Bulls baseball game about three weeks ago with a friend. Wasn't much action going on, but I have to tell you, they put on a fireworks show at the end of the game that will just rival anything you've seen anywhere. You just crack your neck back and you look up in the sky, put your fingers in your ears and just enjoy it. It was quite something. So Kevin Costner starred as Crash Davis, a veteran catcher brought in to teach rookie pitcher Ebby Calvin Nuke Lelouch, Tim Robbins, about the game. They wanted to go to the major leagues. And who enters the picture? Of course, baseball groupie Annie Savoy, the one and only Susan Sarandon. She's interested in Nuke but finds herself drawn to Crash. Just a couple statistics. The movie made number three on the Moving Arts Films Journal of Journal of 25 Greatest Sports Movies of All Time, 55 on Bravo's 100 Funniest Movies, 97 on American Film Institute's 100 Years, 100 Laughs, and number one on Rotten Tomatoes' list of the 53 best-reviewed sports movies of all time. Here is the quote. You just got lesson number one. Don't think it can only hurt the ball club. Les Jackson, thank you for the quote. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks, Bonnie. You take me back to 1988, just with all your references there. I'm um, glad. So I'm was, glad. Uh, so how yeah. in the world, and, and I asked the same question to Michael a minute ago, how in the world did he find a quote from The Who about tax? And now we're talking to you about Bull Durham. So you got to link it up yeah. for me, please. Yeah, I can do that. So so I'm a baseball person. That's the reason for the quote from the film. Uh, but from a business perspective, as well as kind of from a personal you know, life experience perspective, what I've seen often in our business and working with our clients especially is that, you know, business is complex. Uh, transactions, you know, global transactions uh, from companies, very complex scenarios and taxes kind of uh, perforate that, that, uh, that ecosystem. So ultimately what we try to, to help our clients and talk to our, our professionals about at Deloitte is that, you know, there are many times whenever we can take a complex business scenario and mm-hmm. don't overthink it, right? Keep it, uh, keep it simple. 
Too many times, uh, you know, we look at a particular scenario and we overthink how we may develop a solution to that problem. And I think this certainly applies to the topic that we're talking about today. I think the, uh, the, the new Supreme Court case around Wayfair, uh, many of our clients are, are thinking about maybe ways that they can, they can uh, handle the, the new requirements. But ultimately, uh, you know, I say keep it simple. Think about what you have done in the past, but more importantly, mm-hmm. think about maybe your future operations and how you can uh, leverage your, your tax department to, uh, to stay uh, compliant, but also uh, make sure the new obligations that you may have are, are uh, on your systems and processes are done in an efficient manner as well. Thank you very much. Good insights. I'm, I just love the movie quote. Question for you. Same thing I was just speaking with Michael Bernard at Vertex about. Les, do you think it is an exciting profession? Is, is tax going to draw millennials and Gen Xers and Gen Yers and everybody who follows? Is this something that's, wow, I get to crunch numbers. I get to work on exciting things. It's dynamic. It's always changing. New technology is going to always be developing to help me do this well. Do you think there's an excitement there? Agree or disagree? I agree there is excitement in the profession. I, I, I do think, you know, especially in the tax and technology area, there's always a lot of change. There may be, uh, you know, new regulations such as this that, that come out from time to time. We haven't had a lot of a lot of change in the, and certainly in the indirect tax space in a number of years. But I think there is, um, you know, those those obligations and new requirements, if you will, that come out from the uh, the regulatory bodies from time to time, either in the U.S. or globally, certainly. And, and I do think the other aspect to it is that technology is just at light speed, always changing. So we have a lot of um, opportunities now to enable, you know, a more efficient process within a business, uh, especially in the tax area. And we have opportunities with new technology such as cloud and ERP systems that have developed Mm -hmm. over the the last few years that maybe didn't even exist uh, in the three or four four years ago timeframe. So I think that's another exciting aspect to to being in this this profession. Thank you very much. Do you think young people are going to be drawn to it as exciting as, as those of you who are already in it saying yes as exciting? Do you think it's going to draw people right out of college and they might major in, I don't know, tax law or tax technology? What's your thought? <laughs> I think there's more and more opportunity to. So, you know, many of our recruits come from MIS type backgrounds and ah. IT technology backgrounds. So I think there's, you know, where traditionally we might have been looking, as you said, from the business school or from a CPA uh, yeah. you know, uh, body. Now we're looking more into the, uh, the technology areas for, for new, uh, the, the new faces in the profession. Thank you very much. That's always exciting to present that kind of a statement to our global audience so people know, oh, maybe I'll find a new profession or that's where I will go when I get out of school. Thank you very much, Les. And now joining us, one more turn around the table here. I've got Knut Barthel. If you want to find him, it's K-N-U-T, Knut Barthel, B-A-R-T-H-E-L, Senior Director at SAP's Globalization Services. And Knut has sent us... Another entertainment quote. Gentlemen, I can't remember the last time all three quotes came from such fun sources. Canute has picked one from Monty Python's Flying Circus back in 1989. And the episode was the Dirty Hungarian Phrase Book. OMG. Let me just give a little background here, Canute. It first aired in 1970 on the Flying Circus as part of episode 25. It was inspired by English as she is spoke, a 19th century Portuguese English phrase book regarded as a classic source of unintentional humor because the English translations are totally incoherent. Let me set the scene here. A Hungarian, of course, played by John Cleese, goes into a tobacco shop carrying a phrase book 
and starts a dialogue with Terry Jones. The gentleman wants to buy cigarettes, but the phrase book's translations have no resemblance to the real words he wants to use. Many are bizarre, and now I lead to the quote Knut has selected. Instead of saying, I want to buy cigarettes, he ended up saying, my hovercraft is full of eels. I'm, I'm sorry, Knut. I can't, I can't say that with a straight face. You're, you're, you're breaking up the show here. Knut Barthel, welcome. How are you today? And tell me how in the world you picked this quote for our topic. Go ahead. <laughs> Thanks, I'm good. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, this, this quote is actually um, hilarious. Yeah, uh, I... <laughs> I keep thinking about it all the time, and uh, it's really, really quite interesting. Do you like eel, by the way? I have tried it once. I had smoked eel many years ago, and the answer is many years ago. <laughs> that's, that's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> go, go ahead, yeah, I mean, Eel is this kind of dish. Uh, either you love it, you hate it. I've met few people that are in between, yeah, but um, it's, it's quite rare, especially in Sao Paulo, where I live. It's quite difficult to get eel. Um, I've been once on a business trip to Tokyo and a colleague took me to a, an eel eatery. So that was a restaurant. There were only eel dishes, like, I don't know, hundreds of them. It was incredible. Yeah. So that was literally a house full of eels. Uh, but actually I have never come to the situation that my hovercraft was uh, full of eels. So that's quite unusual. Uh, so I'm not sure about how you, how your hovercraft, uh, affairs. But mine never. No, dear. I've, uh, I've owned boats, but I never got into hovercraft. So, no, I've, I've never had a hovercraft full of eels. And, but I've seen people eeling. I used to live on the south shore of Long Island, New York. And I don't know if there were eels there, but I think I've seen videos of people eeling. It's just a little too for me. But anyway, please go. What are we talking about on tax and technology? And hovercraft is full of eels. So, what's the link? This is very, very interesting. Yeah, I think there are, there are multiple levels. So one is, I mean, <clears throat> actually, if you see my, my bio, I'm not originally from, from tax or accounting or this kind of background. Mm-hmm. So I studied the exact sciences, yeah, as physics. And so um, when I started working at SAP, so my first assignment was um, actually still what I'm doing today, a bit in a different role at that time, was uh, primary support and was Brazilian taxes. Yeah? And I just was just reading the customer incidents and they were complaining like, okay, tax has to pick up like this, like that. And I was thinking, what the hell are they talking about? This does not make any sense. Yeah? And so after that, so really, uh, if you work with tax laws, especially in exotic geographies like Brazil, or I mean, there are many other places, yeah, um, then you need a kind of sense of humor to, or to, to be able to cope with it yeah, and take it, take it lightly. Because if you're, uh, what, what is it good for? Yeah? So then I think you will uh, soon get trip- depressed. So that is one explanation. The other one is, of course, in the hovercraft. Yeah? So how many of us today are going by hovercraft? Uh, probably no one, so I don't actually have one, so that uh, saves me from the problem with the eels, yeah. But it's something with technology, yeah, so back in the 70s, 80s, uh, it was like, okay, one day everybody will go by hovercraft, yeah? and this has not come true, and today, I mean, we have other things like electrical cars and drones and all these kind of things, so, mm-hmm. yeah, we say, well, I mean, 10 years or 5 years, everybody will use these technologies, we don't know, yeah? and same is also for tax technology, yeah, so sometimes we think, okay, this is now, the silver bullet, it may be, but it might not. So that is also how, how I see this relationship of this quote. 
thank you very much. Very charming, very interesting. I can't believe we had a quote from The Who, a quote from Bull Durham, and a quote from Monty Python's Flying Circus, all on the same show. Gentlemen, you've outdone yourself, seriously. But now let's get serious and get to know the three of you a little bit more. I'm going to circle back around to Michael Bernard at Vertex. And Michael, I have a couple of questions for you. Number one is, where are you calling from today? And if it's a home office, tell me the city or town or country. That's what we're interested in. And number two, what's your favorite drink that keeps you smiling and keeps you excited about tax? And number three, what do you do at Vertex? Michael Bernard, all yours. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. Um, so I'm calling from my home office. I live in uh, Bellevue, Washington. So uh, our home office for Vertex is actually in Philadelphia. So I actually get there uh, once or twice uh, a month. And um, but my favorite drink uh, that I thought is just like was groundbreaking for me was uh, Diet Snapple. So the the reason Diet Snapple is is so wonderful is because when I originally grew up in Nebraska, and if uh, I spent a lot of years uh, working on the farm, a lot of times what was prepared for you in the diners there was uh, iced tea. So you would mm-hmm. drink iced tea. It didn't have any sugar in it or anything like that. And a lot of times it was kind of bitter. So when they came out with Diet Snapple, it was uh, it had like seven different flavors. It was sweetened, and then if you're and uh, the thing that Snapple did one time, or they still do today, is when you take off the cap of a of a Snapple bottle, it has mm-hmm. a fun fact in there. And so yes. there's uh, so it's always kind of fun to uh, to open it up and look at that. Like um, you you might have something that'll pop up. Like I remember something one time it said like a hummingbird weighs less than a penny or something like that, or the most. Uh, the people in Alaska are the have the highest percentage of people who actually walk to work. So yep. it just has kind of a fun fact to start the day. I, I drink that instead of coffee, so it's got it's got some good caffeine in it, uh, and um, and so that's that's why I selected uh, those two things or Snapple. In, in terms of what I do at Vertex, um, I don't run. So for 28 years, I ran a functional group at Microsoft, uh, direct reporting, indirect reporting, policy controversy, um, basically about everything you could do in a, in a tax department. But Vertex offered me an opportunity to come and really kind of work with other corporate tax departments to bring new services and software to to them. And so since I was a customer for a long time and I understood the indirect space pretty well, that's uh, that's what I'm doing today. It's It gives me a chance to work with just some tremendous companies, both large and mid-market, and uh, and to do uh, programs like this to kind of uh, talk about tax and and uh, and how and, and and how the tax is just an exciting place to be at this time. Thank you very much, Michael. And you have opened me up sure. to something that I will use when I'm bored, which is often because I'm a type A. You turned me on to the Snapple.com slash real dash facts. And I am looking here and this is amazing. Animals that lay eggs don't have belly buttons. Okay. Slugs have four noses. Camels have three eyelids. A honeybee flies at 15 miles an hour. A bee has five eyelids. I think we got that one. Mosquitoes are attracted to people who ate bananas. And one more, flamingos turn pink from eating shrimp. Very, very interesting. Yeah. So I don't have to collect Snapple caps. I can just go to the site. Thank you very much. I didn't know that existed. 
Yep, I, I, I'm happy to know that. So that's what I'm going to do instead of playing solitaire when I'm bored. Thank you very much. Les Jackson, sure. oh my, we're ready for you. Les, we want to know where are you today? What's your favorite drink in the whole world? Love a little story if you've got one. And what do you do at Deloitte? Go ahead, Les. Uh, thanks, Bonnie. So I am uh, out of Houston, Texas. Um, so I often get the phrase, Houston, we have a problem when I'm out in the field. Um, <laughs> but uh, my, my favorite drink is probably, um, at least for morning time, is Zip Fizz. Uh, it's, it's one of those kind of those drinks you can drink instead of, uh, instead of coffee, and, and it gives me some caffeine uh, each day. Uh, and I would say my, maybe my favorite adult beverage is a vodka tonic. Um, and that's, um, you know, it's just something I've come to enjoy over, over uh, a period of time. Uh, but, uh, I don't have any really great stories about zip fizz or vodka tonics, but, um, maybe I'll try them together sometime and see how that, see how that plays out for me. <laughs> Do you have a favorite um, vodka that goes with the tonic? Do you have a brand you love? We'd love to know. Well, well, I wouldn't give, I wouldn't give an endorsement out, but I am from Texas. So, uh, Tito's and tonic would, would probably okay. be the, the favorite, uh, just being from the home state. There you um, go. Okay. So what go. do you do at Deloitte? What's your background? Um, so I am what, what we call a uh, Deloitte tax uh, technology professional. And um, mm-hmm. what that means is is that it, we actually have a, a global practice uh, at Deloitte in the tax technology space. And we do nothing but uh, really bring uh, solutions, you know, to our clients. Um, oftentimes we're talking about, you know, new and emerging tax regulations around the world. Um, certainly in some of the more complex countries um, outside the United States, such as Brazil and Argentina and India and others where there's, there's very, um, there's very uh, I'll call it complex tax uh, requirements in those countries, mm-hmm. uh, both reporting and, and uh, calculations of taxes. Uh, we also do a lot of advisory work around uh, software um, and software and, and systems that are, that are out there in the marketplace. I alluded to earlier some of the uh, cloud systems that we work with. And certainly the, the two uh, software vendors today, both SAP and Vertex, we have uh, alliances with them. And what that means is, is that we bring, uh, we know the, we know their solutions. We know that they're capable of in the marketplace and we bring those solutions to our clients. And so I think uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, that I do on a daily basis is work with my clients and my teams at, at Deloitte to be able to uh, solve what we said earlier, some of their complex tax problems and bring them, bring them a solution that will work in their environment. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And nice to get to know you. And I want to thank you for contributing my buzz quote from Nathan Andrews today. Really appreciate it sure. because it encapsulated, crystallized what we're talking about. So thank you, Les. And now let's go to our SAP panelists. We've got Knut Barthel, and he's calling from, I'll let him tell you where. Where are you today, Knut? What's your favorite drink? And what's your relationship to the tax profession? Go ahead, Knut. Okay, thank you. So I'm calling out of uh, Sao Paulo <clears throat> in Brazil, um, doing home office today. And uh, yeah, what are my favorite drinks? So currently I'm having a coffee and a fresh squeezed uh, orange juice. Um, I'm not sure if I really have one favorite drink, but I can say almost all of my drinks are really natural. So I, I like uh, fruit juices, uh, freshly pressed, which luckily here in Brazil we have a lot of tropical fruits, which we can have uh, freshly of course, uh, freshly brewed coffee is uh, um, classic here. Um, other than that, I never drink any uh, industrialized drinks like soft drinks or so. Stay away from that uh, with exception of uh, fermented drinks, meaning uh, beer or wine, which I also like a lot. Okay. Um, okay. So um, <clears throat> my role at uh, 
SAP, or what brings me to the tax topic, I already mentioned. So my, my, my start at, at SAP brought me into contact with the Brazilian tax legislation. And uh, mm-hmm. so I was uh, starting uh, to work in uh, development support. And one of the first tasks I did actually was uh, back in around 2000. Yeah. So we saw that uh, all the different, uh, all around the globe, we have so many different complicated tax, uh, tax regimes and tax laws. And um, it was at the time of the internet uh, bubble, as we later found mm-hmm. out. But that was the first time when we were uh, also thinking about building tools that are more adequate, not not really deeply embedded into an ERP system. And I was on the project that built uh, actually a tax engine for worldwide use. Uh, at that time, it was called the Transaction Tax Engine. It's also uh, something uh, we are developing uh, more. So that was uh, getting me from, let's say, from the pure Brazil perspective, more on a global uh, tax radar. Uh, so then I had various roles to eventually move from, from development to, to product management. And I think seven years ago, I moved from Germany, where I was originally based, to Brazil. And at that point in time, we had uh, still some uh, strong growth. You, you might remember this brick emerging markets. Uh, so there was a trend to also from our department to um, have uh, people locally in these geographies and well, um, I mean, now the trend is going back, yeah, especially uh, with the U.S. Yeah, with the tax changes, so a lot of businesses are uh, actually insourcing again. Yeah, so we'll see how it plays out for the emerging markets. I stayed over here, and uh, my role today is I'm working still for for the Brazilian localization in one role, but on the other hand side, uh, I'm still working a lot on, on on tax technology. Actually, working together with my colleagues from the line of business finance on the on the tax portfolio. And uh, in that sense, Brazil is also for us always a kind of, of guinea pig. Yeah? So we say because of the complexity, if something works here, it will probably also work in the rest of the world. So that's a little bit background on uh, our tax uh, topics here and where I'm positioned. Thank you very much, Knut. And I have to do a shout-out to my colleagues at our long-running series, Financial Excellence with Game Changers. I contacted Chris Grundy, Birgit Starmans, Michael Alexander, Michael Deal Alexander, and they connected me with Lane Lexala, and then we went to uh, Vishal Visca, and they introduced me to Knut. So I want to say thank you to my colleagues who helped us find Knut as, a, as an expert on tax, not necessarily the new law we're talking about, but from the global perspective, which helps round out the conversation. So, Knut, thank you so much for joining us. Guess what, panelists? We're not going to take a break. I know I told you 90-second break, but we are just so interesting, and there's so much to talk about. I don't want to even lose 90 seconds. So, Michael Bernard from Vertex, I am looking at your notes, and I'm picking two sentences here I'd like to read as a starting point and then have you open up the conversation just about two minutes, and then I will invite Les at Deloitte and Knut at SAP to join in and talk about your topic. So, Michael, here we go. You say technology will be at the center of complying with this new economic threshold standard, given the fact there are 12,000 separate sales and use tax jurisdictions in the U.S., and then you say technology will need to monitor when the thresholds are met and when sales tax reporting needs to begin. I think this is a good place to start diving in. So, Michael, all yours. Talk to me. Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, I think one of the things that that was important in the Wayfair case, I'll, I'll go back to that, that was mm-hmm. an important part of their decision was, as as we had said earlier in the program, that uh, that you used to have to have a physical presence in a state before yes. you actually had to collect and remit sales tax, and that, that's gone away. 
And part of the reasoning back in 1992 when, that, when the Quill decision was uh, decided is there were only about, well, there were 6,000 uh, sales and use tax jurisdictions at that time. Today, there's, it's doubled to 12,000. And in 92, there really wasn't a technology solution uh, back at that time to really, uh, that you can enable to, to comply with that if you were a remote seller. It was, the thinking was, if you were there in a state, if you were physically there, you had a warehouse or a storefront or employees, then you had enough presence uh, to be there that you could also afford to, to comply with the laws. Well, one of the things that they decided in the, in the case was that now there was, there was technology solutions that were available, uh, whether they're cloud-based, whether they're on-premise based, uh, or they're a hybrid of that, that now remote sellers can kind of tap into and actually comply with it. So that, that was one of the key things that was stated in the case, uh, even if you're a small seller. So um, mm-hmm. if you're a large seller, it's just expected that you're going to be able to do that. Part of the, the thing where we say technology will need to monitor the economic thresholds one thing is, as you know, Bonnie, is most of the, all the states have a different economic threshold. They're either based upon some kind of dollar amount, a gross dollar amount, or a transaction amount. And so uh, technology will be able to handle or should be able to handle when you hit those thresholds. And that's going to be important because that's what's going to start the compliance uh, reporting requirements for these remote sellers. Thank you very much. Let's see what Les sure. Jackson and Deloitte has to add. Les, join us, please. Sure, sure, Mike uh, and Bonnie. Thanks for that. Um, I think you know, as we said, technology is is key here. I think technology and, and and data. So one of the things that you know we often hear is that tax departments are the largest consumers of of, of information in the company, and so that's it's almost hard to believe at times. But many mm-hmm. times um, it is the case. I can tell you from experience because the tax department is is taking information from a variety of sources. They may be getting you know information from various different systems through reporting and through data. Um, access that they have. They may also be getting information from various different processes in the organization. So I think it's crucial uh, to the point Mike made about technology being be able to, if you if you will, have optics to be able to monitor the transaction base and also be able to ultimately handle, you know, whenever some of these thresholds are tripped. Uh, what we see, you know, obviously with our clients is they, you know, the tax department is really uh, in the information um, you know, conveyor mode. They're having to to educate, if you will, both some of their finance organization as well as generally their IT organization that there's uh, a new impact to business operations that, mm-hmm. you know, the Wayfair case may impact them first and foremost and then talk to, you know, their finance leaders and their IT organizations about what that means, right? So does that mean, you know, yes, we have technology in place already that we may need to, to have enhancements to that, that technology or no, we don't. And now we need to have a new mechanism for, for tracking and reporting this information. And ultimately, it gets down to, you know, not only the, the reporting requirements, but certainly being able to calculate tax where they, where they need to. So if they have sales or marketing organizations that are out there making sales in some of these remote, more remote jurisdictions, they may now have economic, you know, nexus, whereas before they didn't, they didn't trip those, those types of uh, physical presence that, uh, that they had to have before the Wayfair case. 
Thank you very much. Knut Barthel, we'd love to get your thoughts on this. I know you're not U.S.-based and this is not your area, but let's look at it from the broader global perspective of what we're talking about here, technology helping decide, helping companies know when they've hit those thresholds. What's your thought on that, Knut? Yeah, I think that's uh, <clears throat> quite quite important to, to see now the uh, sort of paradigm change. Yeah, so... Uh, in mm-hmm. the past, so when there was not like a simple economic threshold, yeah, so when a company decides to do business in a specific state, uh, uh, build permanent establishment, so there are uh, thoughts that go into this process before and probably including also a registration with the local uh, tax authorities. Yeah. And uh, now if out of a sudden so you're doing uh, e-commerce business and you're uh, surpassing a threshold, then it's actually almost too late. Yeah? So, And I think this is this a play between proactiveness, reactiveness, so uh, and and uh, also what we mentioned earlier in the discussion. Yeah, so this uh, former um, well, working style of tax account that uh, at the end of the month, yeah, so they are sitting in the basement and get all kind of information that oh, uh, Houston, we have a problem. Yeah, so now we need to fix this. How do we get our our tax obligations done? Uh, because now out of a sudden we are uh, liable for tax in states where we didn't plan to be. And technology can help here to get this proactivity back, and so to give to give early alert or to to give also planning and visibility uh, to 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 the to the business and to the tax department to be prepared for this. And that is, of course, also uh, I think a general trend. Uh, so. Um, with today's volume of transactions, no longer feasible to to really, uh, after the fact, analyze the data. Maybe with even outdated technology. I mean, uh, going through millions of transactions, trying to find out, okay, how do we file now the taxes? So this needs to be something where the system uh, automatically indicates, okay, this is this has now this and that tax implication, and automatically prepares you for for the necessary obligations. Thank you very much, Canute. Good round the table. Michael, I'm not going to have you wrap that up. I want to make sure we get as much coverage of the broad topic as we can. So I'm moving on to some statements I received from Les Jackson at Deloitte. Les, let me read this. I want to move away just to drop from the technology part of the discussion and move to the business and people part. So here's what I'm picking out from your notes. You say tax departments need to educate IT finance, and the impact of the tax to business operations and the increased cost of compliance for the organization. So let's talk about that. What has to happen inside of a company? Let's say they're aware of the technology, they are able to make the investment, but there's a lot that has to go on inside along with that. So talk to me, Les. Sure. Sure, Donnie. So I think the businesses, you know, as I said, need to assess the impact on, on current operations. So I think, as Canute just mentioned, you know, this is something that comes into effect. It is kind of a little bit of a staged or a phased approach. So, you know, the, the uh, Supreme Court ruling obviously has already, you know, already positioned uh, likely how the how the uh, overall you know companies will will need to comply. But what we're seeing is is each one of the states now are coming out with their their statutes and even some of the localities and you know states in the U.S. where we have um, what we call home rule local local jurisdictions like Colorado as an example. Those localities now are coming out with hey you know we we also want to get a piece of the pie because mm-hmm. you know economic thresholds may be tripped in in our jurisdictions as well. So what what that means 
challenge is for a company is that they have to assess, okay, where are we doing business, right? And where do we have not only physical operations, but where are we making these, you know, remote sales into localities um, that we may be doing through an e-commerce channel or we may be doing through some type of uh, other channel, you know, that is maybe even a third party like a marketplace. So I think one of the important things is to just assess internally how you're making sales today from an operations perspective, what systems and processes you have in place for that, you know, that specific sales channel, and then ultimately looking at how does that impact me, right, from a, from a tax compliance perspective. And what I mean by that is, you know, do I now have to file additional tax returns, you know, not only get registered, but actually file those returns. And returns in, in this space typically are due either on a monthly or a quarterly or sometimes an annual basis. Just depends on how much, uh, you know, how much transaction volume you have. So uh, it is a monthly obligation in a lot of cases. And so that can impact, you know, the level of effort that you have from your tax department to be able to, to, uh, to comply. So I think it's important, right, to, to note where your current operations are, where you're making sales, what systems that those sales are made through, and then ultimately, how does that impact us, right? What can we do, you know, to make sure that we are reducing the risk of noncompliance, but also, um, you know, making sure we're, we're uh, you know, appropriately sized in our tax department to be able to handle any type of new filing requirements that we have. Thank you very much. And let's go around the table to Knut. Talk to me about the implications inside a company. Agree or disagree with what Les just shared? No, I fully agree. I think that's uh, that's very important. And I think also from the core, what we really need to see or what, what in many cases we already see happening is really the tax departments getting closer to the business. And uh, especially in indirect tax, I mean, there is this notion that uh, in theory, indirect tax is business neutral, uh, uh, which is, of course, only an approximation. And uh, as we see now, uh, there is also a cost of compliance or a cost of, for, for non-compliance. So what if you are not fulfilling your obligations, you will have to come with fines. Or if you are planning to fulfill the obligation, there is a cost involved, yeah, uh, which also may impact business decisions. So does it really make sense to go through this channel into this and that geography? And we have seen examples, yeah, not in the U.S., but for example, uh, there were uh, some recent law changes in Hungary, also of very complex nature. We've seen companies that decided, okay, we are uh, stopping our business here because from just from compliance perspective, it's too complex for us. So uh, we are not prepared for that. And I think um, it's important also that the tax department brings this visibility close to the business uh, and, and to bring also, uh, let's say, the, in the design of the business processes or business models also consider uh, also indirect tax aspects uh, that are getting more and more, let's say, uh, complicated and um, challenging all over the world. Thank you very much. And let's go around the table one more time a little bit to Michael Bernard of Vertex. Thoughts, Michael? Sure, Bonnie. Um, I think one of the things that was that, that kind of came out of this decision was there's Tax departments are having a renewed effort, uh, and and Les and Canute have already have touched upon this that that they really need to start looking at uh, beefing up their business processes. And and one of our customers said it probably better than just about anybody when he said once you once you produce an invoice that that invoice is a key business process. In other words, mm-hmm. not only does the, the skew have to be right and the amount has to be right, but the tax has to be uh, calculated properly. And so to the extent that, that, because if it's not calculated properly, then there's a whole bunch of rework that has to be done, either contact with the customer, they may short pay, 
the invoice or uh, or you have to put people on it from internally in the business to work on it. It's not a good customer experience as far as the business is concerned. So, so when it comes to indirect taxation and using technology processes to make sure the invoice is right, that, that, that is just a key thing that, that actually has to happen. Uh, and the other thing, too, is if you don't collect the proper amount of tax on the front end, there's almost no opportunity to, to go back to the customer and actually uh, ask for that money back. Because if you can imagine, Bonnie, if, if you purchase something and there's not, uh, you know, charge tax, you, you wouldn't expect a, a company to come back and ask you for the tax two or oh, three no. months later. So, oh, no. so that's, I mean, that's something that's just a customer service issue. And then, and then one other point I'll just touch on is mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of processes that have to happen around the accounting for all of this. So if you're in new jurisdictions and you're having to collect or emit, there's uh, there's people in the accounting group who actually have to set up those ledgers and those journals. There's additional IT support that has to go around that. So kind of kind of wrapping all that together, it's just there's just a lot of folks that you have to have conversations with to make sure uh, that you that you're actually properly doing all this work and that it and it, it looks smooth. Uh, certainly from the outside, from the customer's point of view but also that it flows well internally with, with the company. Thank you very much. I'm going to go around the table. We have a few, five minutes left till we go to our crystal ball predictions round. Can't wait to hear what our three panelists have to say about the future of tax and technology. But right now I'm looking at Knut's roundtable statements he sent me. And Knut, let's talk about... Uh, breaking the law. <laughs> let's, let's go on the other side. And here's a statement. You say tax authorities are using more and more state-of-the-art technology to crack down on tax evasion. This is a trend companies need to be prepared for. You say a trend started over 10 years ago in Brazil is spreading around the globe. Tax authorities, and I think this relates to what uh, what Michael just said, tax authorities requiring companies to submit tax information in real time for each and every transaction in the form of electronic invoices. So tax evasion, it's not just for everyday consumers. Companies are doing it too, I assume. Dare I say that? Knut, talk to me. Yeah, so I think that's uh, connecting to to the discussion we had. So we see now in the U.S., so several states or jurisdictions, they see, okay, there's an opportunity that I'm potentially missing. So if Someone is doing business in my state, passing some economic threshold. So the first is they establish, okay, nexus rules, you have to pay tax here. But how do we make sure that this is actually going to happen? And um, in Brazil was one of the first, or maybe the first to my knowledge, that introduced the so-called electronic invoicing, which is uh, was invented to make sure yeah, that uh, also here we have this state-dependent taxes. So every goods movement is really uh, linked to a so-called nota fiscal. And uh, actually, the businesses, they have to submit every invoice, not only to their business partner, yeah, to their, their customers, but before they even ship, yeah, they need to send an XML document to the tax authority. In real time, they get the acknowledgement. So that means all the transactions in the country are immediately, or within 200 milliseconds, known to the tax authorities. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so there is... Um, <clears throat> a high degree of, um, of visibility, and that creates, of course, um, a lot of data volume on the, on the tax authority side. I, last year, I visited the tax authority of Sao Paulo State. I think they have something like 100 terabyte of data. Meanwhile, they collect it. Yeah? They can analyze this. They have tools to do so. Yeah? 
and uh, I think it's uh, effective uh, because uh, this this model is now um, copied in many countries. So first, uh, several other Latin, Latin American countries. Now it's going over to Europe. I'm not sure if you're aware. So Europe has this uh, famous VAT gap. Uh, so uh, it's actually so if you look at the member states of the EU, it's quite similar to the US states. Uh, so if you uh, make sell within uh, the European community. So there are transactions that are free of tax, but at least in one leg you have to pay taxes. It's also quite complicated. And there is this famous VAT carousel. So if you send goods around through multiple legs, so you might end up not paying tax at all. And it was oh. estimated that the European community as a whole is losing 150 billion euros per year uh, yeah. by this. And uh, now one of the first uh, European community states, Spain, has introduced electronic invoicing and see, they uh, have increased their tax collection by several billion, I'm not sure the exact amount, yeah. Mm. Uh, and I think that's getting popular. And, but of course, for the companies, that means they need to be technically prepared, uh, really, on a transactional basis. Imagine consumer products companies that have millions of transactions, literally, they, so they, they need to be able to handle this volume. And not only the volume, the information they send needs to be correct, and they needs to be uh, it needs to be reconciled. I mean, with the still monthly or annual declarations that they do. So that is really a, a challenge. And if you don't have the right technology in place that ensures that you have really a consistent uh, audit-proof uh, system of record, then uh, you run an even higher risk of, of, of non-compliance. Um, Thank you, Knut. Very interesting. We have just a couple of minutes. We're actually in the predictions round now, but I, I can't go there until I get at least 60 seconds from each of the other panelists on this idea of, of tax authorities cracking down using state-of-the-art technology for tax evasion from companies. So quickly, Michael, Bernard at Vertex, what's your thought on that? Yeah, Bonnie, I, I would say a couple things. I to, to echo a little bit what Knut was saying was that the Places like, say, Lake Estonia that aren't running, say, big, huge legacy systems, they, they actually are very well-versed in tech. They have some great analytical tools at this point. Uh, there's less uptime in terms of putting business intelligent tools to kind of um, look at the data and look where sales are going. And I, and I, can, I can tell you this, their game is improving um, every day, and they're committed to uh, making sure that they, they get the, the proper amount of tax that's due them, and, uh, and they're working hard to make sure that that, that, that happens uh, better. They're hiring great people, and, they're, and the tools that they're using are very good at analy- analyzing the data. Thank you very much. Les Jackson at Deloitte, quickly, what are your thoughts on this? Hey, Bonnie, I think, uh, I think these gentlemen both, uh, you know, said it well. I do see, you know, tax authorities, certainly they're getting more and more sophisticated, right, uh, from, an, from an analysis perspective, a data perspective. Uh, I do think some of the, uh, you know, countries outside the U.S. market certainly have been, um, you know, on the forefront of this, as, as Knut mentioned earlier. And what we see is, is that, you know, the U.S., Transaction volumes have traditionally been so, you know, very large, right, for many, uh, for many domestic corporations. And so I do think that that's something that, um, you know, taxing authorities are always interested to get more information from taxpayers, you know, as much information as they can. And so, you know, we often see, um, you know, uh, nexus questionnaires and things of that nature that go out mm-hmm. from tax authorities to, uh, to, you know, businesses to be able to try to identify whenever they're making sales. But I, what I would suspect is, is that that's going to get more and more sophisticated from a technology 
viewpoint. Yep. And, uh, as, you know, as Knut said earlier, I think some of the governmental agencies are going to start requiring either reporting, as we're seeing with Wayfair, or actually, hey, send us, you know, send us more of your transactional detail, right? Whereas in the past, they've always kind of, at least in the U.S., they've always kind of handled it after the fact and done, uh, you know, done indirect tax audits. So I think what we're going to see is there's going to be more proactivity around that. Thank you very much. And now we have just time for a 30-second prediction from each of you. So, Michael Bernard, I'm going to go back around the table to you. 30 seconds. What will change dramatically, dynamically, differentiatingly? I made that one up. In the next, let's say, between now and 2020, because tax seems to be moving so fast. All right, between 2020 and 2025, 30 seconds. What do you predict? Go. Uh, I think, given the Wayfair decision, I think one thing you're going to see, Bonnie, is there's going to be probably an explosion by states to try and increase their tax base by taxing services. Uh, now that you don't need any uh, actual physical c- contact or just economic thresholds as it relates to taxation, uh, and I'm thinking about where a service is performed, say an IT service is performed in one state, but it's really consumed in another, I think you're going to see an expansion of the tax base by states uh, around services. Thank you very much. Les Jackson at Deloitte, I've got, ooh, I can give you 60 seconds if you talk fast. That's a oh, funny thing to say. Wow, Go ahead. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so I would, you know, I'm a tech- I'm technology person at heart. So I would say, you know, in addition to what Mike just said about, the, you know, digitization of services, I do think the technology is going to continue to evolve. I do, I, I do expect that we're going to continue to see some of the major ERP systems and some of the, the business spend management systems and other sales tax you know, sales uh, generation systems that are in the marketplace continue to evolve around tax and especially indirect tax. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is is what we've talked about today. But obviously, I think the taxpayers are going to really need to be more tech savvy, right, to have mm-hmm. in-house, you know, tax technology folks to be able to, to kind of, um, um, you know, marry up both their business process their tax compliance obligations, as well as the data that's required, you know, as I mentioned in some of my earlier comments, to to be compliant. So I do see the, you know, proliferation of tax and technology products and also resources within tax departments to be able to, uh, to deal with that change. Thank you very much. And Canute, I saved 60 seconds for you. They're all yours. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so I think we have two sides. So on, on, on the legislation side, it's difficult to predict because it's not only, I mean, what makes sense will come, but it's often a political decision. And and, and all the evolutions that we see at the moment are kind of a little bit counter uh, globalization, so more isolationism, and that's uh, an environment that is probably going to persist until 2020 at least. Uh, so that could also be preventing technology of uh, easing the business. So that means, on the other hand side, the businesses need to cope with this more uh, fragmented political and uh, uh, also fiscal landscape. And here we have we see some technologies, emerging technologies, which I haven't mentioned before. I think artificial intelligence will will take place, helping uh, companies to analyze to make tax decisions. So that is, or even. Um, interpreting the law, interpreting the law. Uh, so we see, for example, natural language processing. We, we have uh, such a huge uh, amount of uh, legal uh, publications. And there, I think the use of, uh, of these capabilities will help the companies to more quickly understand, interpret the law and implement the changes uh, in the system to be compliant. 
Another technology on the horizon is, of course, blockchain. This would, of course, involve probably also uh, the legislator to, to take a part. So I, I, I would say I'm a little bit skeptical on, on this time frame, maybe on, on the longer time frame, but uh, until 2025, I think artificial intelligence will be one of my, my bets that we will see also making an impact in text technology and in the text function. Thank you, Canute. Right on the dot of time here, I want to thank Michael Bernard at Vertex and Kathy Basiri. I want to thank Les Jackson, Carla, and Helen, and everybody else at Deloitte and Canute Barthel. I thank my colleagues at Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio for connecting me with you. And a special shout-out to Pamela Dunn, the sponsor of this new series, and Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, the business channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Time to wrap up this party. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Did you pay tax on it? I just paid tax on the value of my car to the state of North Carolina. What can I tell you? And it wasn't cheap. But what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Michael Bernard at Vertex, just like Les Jackson at Deloitte, and, of course, just like Newt Barthel at SAP. Over and out. See you tomorrow. Coffee break with Game Changers, 11 a.m. You don't want to miss it. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Intelligent Technologies, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.